I don't have to lead. I will. But I just want to be in the room. I don't have to be a star. I just want to be in the room. So tear off the roof. Lower me down. It's going to be hard. <laughs> but lower me down. We want to break through. We are in a series right now, Let's Go to the Roof. It's been a series of 10, uh, 10 weeks, 13 different miracles that were worked by Jesus in the first part of the book of Mark. And we celebrate miracles. Uh, thank God for the people that have come before us that have preached this well. It's my tradition. Please let me stand on it just to give honor to the lead pastor of the house, Andy Smith. Thank God for him. And his lovely wife and partner. Thank God for her. I just did that so I could honor my wife. <laughs> because she actually shocked me being here today. My son is up uh, doing some college stuff. He's about to graduate from high school. So I'm so glad she's here. She left him there. So uh, Before I preach, can I testify a little bit? I told this story a long time ago, well, a couple sermons ago, and sometimes I rush through the details of this, but I think that it's important that we understand that there are going to be many people that say, because we no longer live in the time where Jesus walked the earth, which is absurd to begin with, because he still walks the earth through us. But the idea that miracles don't happen anymore, I, when they say that, please give me a call so I can tell them this story. Uh, when I was four years old, I was in the living room in my home with my sisters, and we were doing what we normally do at night. We were driving our parents insane. And I'm the youngest of three of us, Shauna, Shannon, and myself. And my sister, who is here today, let me spoil the story. She uh, was sitting and my parents told us to go to bed. This may be strange for some of you, but back in the 80s, when parents said to do something, <laughs> kids actually did it. <laughs> However, this night was different because my sister, six years old, didn't budge. She didn't move. And it took my parents a moment and they looked into her eyes and they saw that she was in a seizure. She was having a grandma seizure. She fell to the ground and my parents began to do the only thing we did in our home consistently. They began to call on the name of Jesus. It's very important to understand that this story is two years long. But understand at the outset, they called on the name of the Lord. As the ambulances got there, my sister was taken to Union Hospital and her condition began to deteriorate. She lost her speech. She lost her ability to eat. She lost her ability to walk. And the next thing that happened is they lifelined my sister to Riley Hospital. 
My parents, who at the time were 29 and 28 years old, 29 and 26 years old, they drove to Raleigh Hospital not knowing what the test was going to be. For the next nine months, they laid and watched their daughter deteriorate more. As she began to deteriorate, one night, she flatlined. And as they were in the halls of Raleigh Hospital, I don't know why, because my parents kept Shannon and I, we were very small. So they tried to keep us, we lived at the Ronald McDonald House, by the way. Donate to the Ronald McDonald House if you can. Great place. But it just so happened, the night that this happened, I was in the hallway and flatlined completely. And I flatlined, my sister flatlined for a while. And as the doctors began to bow their heads and prepare their speeches, my mother, who was just 26 years old, she told the doctors, no, get back in the hospital room. This isn't over. And my family lit up the entire hallway with prayer. And as they began to pray, I, there's a sound that I remember so young. Mm, started turning to mm, mm, mm. Now I want you to understand something. Nobody put any new medicine in her IV and nobody rushed in from triage. They had given my sister up. But prayer changed the circumstance. They still had a trial to endure. Do you understand this? Again, just to recap, at the beginning of the nine months from the time that she had a seizure to her passing away in the hospital, they started off calling on the name of Jesus. And the circumstance did not change. It worsened. There came a time when Raleigh Hospital came to my parents with their smiles and their administration, and they said, your daughter, there's nothing we can do. We have to give her up. She's going to be a vegetable for the rest of her life. So we went home. And as we went home, about a month into being home, the Tribune Star showed up to our house. They showed up to do charity, but they got another story. My mother, who was deemed insane by this time, and my father told the papers, we're believing God for a miracle. They had converted their den into a hospital room. So a hospital bed was in the middle of the room, and Shauna would lay there, unable to eat, unable to talk. Shannon and I this is how we became worshipers. Because we would sit next to our sister in the bed, put our faces against hers, and just rock her back and forth and sing the songs we had been taught at Sunday school. One day, my grandfather stopped by the house, and he was a man of God. I'll talk about that in a moment. But my father and mother were at the end of the rope, and the Lord had given my grandfather an instruction. Make braces for your, her legs. Put her on your feet and just walk her through the house. And as you walk her through the house, pray. Sing praises. 
and I'm going to move. One morning, we came to the den and Shauna was missing. She had been on a feeding tube for a year and a half by this point. They found her by herself in the kitchen eating. I know this doesn't sound like a true story, but it's a true story. My father prayed to God and he said, I just want my daughter back. By this time, he's 30 years old. He's graying up, mom is graying up, they're just kids. But the stress, the weight is on them and they've aged. And they were sending my sister to West Vigo Middle School so that she could attend classes like any other handicapped child. What dad's prayer was is I'm going to walk her to the bus. Lord, just let her come running home one day. One day... (laughs) Bishop Schaus walked out my father of the house. At that time, he's just Arnick. And he steps out, and the bus would usually pull up so he could get Shauna, but they stop at the end of the block. The door is open, and my sister takes off running down the block. The vegetable who would never walk, who would never talk, who would never eat, who would never be able to fend for herself, is now working on her doctorate in divinity, has a master's in child education. Listen, I want you to know this. Oh, mom and dad took her back to Raleigh Hospital. (laughs) And when they came walking in and the doors opened and the doctors and the nurses were there, in walks my sister. And she's walking up, hugging everybody, and they're perplexed. And the nurses begin to weep. And the doctor looked at them and said, there must be a God. Now, let's go to the roof. Shauna, wave your hand. She's here right now. Not only can she talk, but she talks too much. And I'm just playing. I'm A miracle. The scar is still there from a tracheotomy. A miracle. This is how my life started. With miracles. We didn't have much. But I remember those nights where Shannon and I would try to go to bed. And the people of God would come from the church to my parents' house, and the family would come together. And ringing throughout the halls of our house was not a sorrow or a pity party. It was praise and thanksgiving. Now you know why I'm up here. That's how we were born. Now, here's the point. The point is not the miracle. The point is what you find out in the space when he hasn't done it yet. There's a story in the book of Mark that I want to read real quick, and I want to be an encouragement to you in this. And I know it's Super Bowl Sunday, so I won't be long, but (laughs) 
Some of you are right now praying over the food in your mind and <laughs> praying for the Kansas City Chiefs because they're in trouble. They're in trouble. <laughs> they're in some trouble this time around. The book of Mark, chapter number 6, verses 30 through 44. If you put that up, Izzy, it simply reads, and I'm reading the New Living Translation. The apostles returned to Jesus from the ministry, from the ministry tour, and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Listen to this. There were so many people coming and going that they didn't have time to eat. It does not say they weren't hungry. But ministry, their life, had placed them in a position where now they lack something because they don't have time. Jesus is aware of this. Keep that in mind. So they leave by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone and eat. Doesn't say that in scripture, but Peter's stomach is grumbling. They can be alone and they can eat. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And again, it doesn't say this, but I can only put myself in the position of the disciples. And they're hungry. Late in the afternoon, so that means they left in the morning. They're hungry. Jesus is taught until late in the afternoon. They're still hungry. This is a remote place. His disciples came to him and said, and it's already getting late, Jesus. Can you wrap it up? Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages to buy something to eat. I got so tickled at this scripture because it reminds me of my kids when we're out doing something and they're ready for us to stop. They start talking about everybody else's needs. The disciples are like, Jesus, the people are hungry. Let's get them out of here. But Jesus said, you feed them. Wait a minute. Back up. They're starving. Jesus knows they're starving. But he said, you feed the people that are hungry. It's important to understand this. You feed them. With what, they asked. We've had to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Jesus says, how much bread do you have? He asks, go and find out. Funny thing about this story is he says that it says in Mark that they came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. It doesn't mention until the other gospels that they've arrested the food of a poor little boy. The boy's about to eat his lunch and he doesn't know. Peter walks up and says, folks are hungry. We need this food. All they had was five loaves, two fish, and the need of a miracle. So, 
Jesus in verse 39 as he told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish, a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. The theme of this story is simple. There's lack, there's need. Jesus, what will you do? And it seems as though there's something in this story that Jesus is trying to get us to see about the times that we think we lack the most and we're in our greatest need. Those tend to be the times that he wants to prove through you that he can do something great. The focus at times is the circumstance. Some of you sitting there right now and you've been praying I know this because thanks couldn't sleep last night. And this was on my mind. You've been praying. And you've been praying towards a thing specifically. And the enemy, what he does is, since he can't read your thoughts, but he can listen to your prayer, he will accuse your prayer and challenge your belief in God. And many times what he wants us to focus on is the circumstance and what has or hasn't happened yet. But Jesus says this. He says, you lack, but I'm going to make you the miracle. That doesn't add up mathematically. I'm the one in trouble. I'm the one in heartache. But Jesus looks and says, you're going to be the miracle. I'm the one with the familial issues. I'm the one with the marriage issues. I'm the one with the physical ailment. And Jesus says, you feed them. You be the miracle. I didn't understand this. And then I, my heart was taken to the book of Acts chapter 3. If you throw that up, Izzy. There's a lame man. There's a lame man at the gates when Peter and the rest of the disciples are entering the city. And the man has been lame for a number of years. As a matter of fact, he's been lame long enough that now he's begun to wallow in his circumstance. If you don't catch anything I say, catch this. He's no longer asking to be healed. He doesn't ask Peter and the disciples for healing. He asks them for something that they cannot provide. Why? Because when I'm in trouble long enough, it is easy to become disillusioned. And it's in our human psyche at times to think that we do ourselves a service that we've asked God to do something. And he has not done it. The disappointment that sets in teaches us 
to stay quiet and not keep our petition before him. This is not the scripture. When you desire something, your father knows what you desire. But like any father, relationally, there is something that he feels. Yes, I said God feels. He's not ignorant of your infirmity. And there's something in your weakness that causes him to be strong. So that when you have something, I'm trying not to get hyped up. <laughs> when you have something before God, though, the number one thing that the enemy's going to try to do is to get you to stop asking. Because even if the answer's no, when you're putting something in the hands of God, it doesn't matter that the answer's no. His yes beats your yes every time. And I want you to be excited so that when you leave here, nobody has to wonder if it's the Super Bowl or if it's Jesus. He might just be setting you up for something greater than you're asking. Right where you are, believe that. Just lock into that right where you're at, no matter what it is. He might not be setting you up for a miracle. He might be setting you up to prove his glory to the enemy. Job went through this, did he not? Job could have rested on his laurels and just been a rich man and had sheep and cattle and his kids be fine. But for the glory of God, God knew that to afflict him would bring about a greater testimony. We overcome by that. We overcome by that. If you watch me go through something and it seems like it's going to be over and I walk out on the other side, somebody looks at that and overcomes. So Jesus is saying today, I know you're looking for a miracle, but while you're looking for a miracle, prepare yourself. If you ask me, I'm not just going to do it for you. I'm going to do it so that the whole kingdom sees that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Acts 3, 1 through 9. Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand. Catch this. Peter did not allow him to make a choice of whether he was going to stay where he was. He didn't just speak to him. He grabbed him and lifted him from his state. Right now, I want you to know prophetically that God is grabbing the arm of a few people in here. And he's lifting you from where you are. The important thing about this story is the first verse. That's all I want to look at, Izzy. That it said, Peter responds to this man, I don't have silver and gold. Now, let me tell you a story, Jeremy. Don't tell, you, don't tell the other people that are here about this. All right. When I started pastoring March the 17th, 2019 at Recharge. My father had been the pastor for years. And when I say he gave his all, he gave it all. He did things that I will never do. I know y'all like, oh, I'm serious. The temperament, the, the willingness to go through it, that God used him. Now, the end of the story is he came out of all of it. He and my mother. 
but he went through great things. What you don't know about little Arnick up here is I'm a fourth generation pastor. My great-grandfather, Bishop Stewart, began pastoring before my mother was born. And then my grandfathers, both of them, both my parents' fathers, were pastors. Bishop Seaton, Bishop Schaus. And then my father was a pastor. Now, the funny part of the story is they were all pastors and I thought that I was going to duck it. I thought I was going to get out of the way of my calling, Arnick III, wherever you are. Elijah. Hi, Arnick. But this was the heritage. Now, my grandfather, my great-grandfather started pastoring in the 50s. He built one of the biggest organizations, a lot of people don't know this, biggest Pentecostal organizations in the world. And then my two grandfathers came behind him. And they were prominent men all over this nation. And then my father, a way better singer than me, a great preacher, all these things. So when I started pastoring, I was like, well, where is the money? Where's the loot? Who held the bag? Who left me something to do this church? These men weren't out stacking up dollars. They took vows of poverty. Peggy, I was mad when I found out. <laughs> I was like, I don't have any help to do this. You, you, I've seen the church be successful. My father had to remind me, did you see how many people, you know, didn't have a car and we bought them a car? Did you see how many people we fed? There's your money. And I was mad, so I was going to go around and start collecting. <laughs> but then COVID hit. And my parents that I love more than anything but my wife came to the point of death. We couldn't go see them, Peggy. We were on FaceTime. And my father was just laid out on the couch, heart down to 60, oxygen rate, 60% rather. My mother couldn't even speak. And Andy, I was going to sit there and watch my parents die. The pastor who's mad about the money. And thanks be to God, one of my mother's friends is an evangelist. And she called me and said, Arnick, your parents are dying. What are you doing? She said, call them as soon as you get off the phone with me. Hook your keyboard up in your house. FaceTime them. Don't even say hi. Just start singing the song of the cross in Zion. My parents laid there and all I could do was see their limp bodies. But as I began to worship, my daughter entered the room. And before I knew it, she was kneeled down next to me and she began to worship. And my wife enters the room. My sons enters the room. 
I look around and the room is lit up in our house. And at that time, I saw my mother start getting up. My father start getting up. They went from death to healing in 48 hours. <laughs> if anybody knows at Christway, Arnick has a, an autoimmune disease. He has an immunodeficiency. So I can get sick very easy. So I've had COVID four times. The first time I got it, right the week after I prayed for them, I'm laying in bed. My wife is a nurse. She can do nothing. I'm barely breathing. We hear ding dong. And standing at the door with a Bible as big as the stage is my father. Cherie opened the door, he pushed past, he said, I take authority in the name of Jesus over this whole house. I'll never forget it. He looked at me and said, shut up, don't say anything. And he stood for an hour in the middle of our living room and talked to every spirit of death that was in my house. I'm just trying to rile y'all up make you understand that when you call Jesus, you call every attribute that God has. After I recovered, it hit me. Acts chapter 3, 1 through 9. Silver and gold I don't have, but such as I have. That's my inheritance, Andy. That's what they left me. When I got out of COVID, I went to my grandfather's house. He's 87 years old and still preaching, still teaching. I went to his house and he got hyped up. <laughs> and he said, I want to tell you something. Your great-grandfather, he was in Terre Haute. No, he was in Danville, Illinois. And he was baptizing people in the middle of the winter soul after soul, in the middle of the river, breaking ice to baptize people. The sheriffs had shotguns on his head, telling him, if you lose one person, we're going to kill you in front of all these people. And an old woman comes to be baptized who's lame, who's in a wheelchair, and Andy, they take the wheelchair, they break the ice of the river, they dip this woman in to be baptized. And as they're standing there holding their shotguns on my great-grandfather, when the woman comes out of the water, she runs out. So it was great-grandpa who, bro who broke the ice and baptized people and they were healed. It was grandpa who prayed over my sister. It was my father who prayed over me. And today, I don't have silver and gold for you all. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus. Whatever it is, I want you to pray with me right now. I've got a guarantee for you. God's going to do one of two things. Either he's going to do a miracle and bring you out, 
or he's going to do a miracle and see you through. Whatever it is. Let's pray in this moment. Someone is in search of God right now. And you think that your weakness means that God doesn't love you, that God doesn't care about you, that he's ignorant of your infirmities. But I declare over this house right now that God is doing a work in you. He has not forgotten you. And what it is, whatever it is, it will become a testimony to the people around you. If he says no, it's still a testimony. If he says yes, then rejoice. Either way, the scripture says, I will yet praise him. So let's pray right there. Father, right now, all over this room, all the people that are in this room under the sound of my voice, Lord, let them take heed to what your word is saying right now. And let a miracle be released, Lord. First of all, let them see the miracle is that you saved us. The miracle is that we were sinners and we should have been denied. But you, Jesus, for no reason but your love, you accept us. You accept us in this space. And now, Lord, someone's in here and they may have a need of you. And, Lord, they're losing faith. But you said that you don't need great faith. You just need them to accept two things, that their weakness makes perfect your strength, and that if they have the faith just of the grain of a mustard seed, the smallest thing, little becomes much as it rests in your hand. Lord, I'm asking you to restore joy in this place. I'm asking you that you restore a heart for you, restore people's minds that have been in trials and circumstances for years, and they're waiting on an answer, Lord. Let them know the answer is your joy. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We pray that in Jesus' name. Come on, celebrate him all over the room. Just take a moment. Let me tell you something before I go. Let me tell y'all something before I go. There's going to be a lot of noise in about six hours. There's going to be a lot of people jumping up. Some of you, I'm scared to come to your house. You're going to be ready to fight when this game is over. The energy that we have for that moment, if you just feel it, it's no pressure. Just give God that energy for a few seconds and just praise him for who he is. Ask God all over this room. Praise him. Praise him. If you have breath in your body, you're qualified. Come on in. Hallelujah. We bless you, Jesus. For who you are, Jesus. Hallelujah. For who you are, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. May that faith fill you. It's heritage. That's what it is. It's an awareness. It's a history. If you don't have it, you can create it. You can create it through your faith. Rewrite the script. I'm sitting over there and I'm thinking of stuff I haven't thought of in years. This is Indiana. We're near St. Louis. I'm usually, when I tell, when, probably the last time I told this story, I was on the East Coast. Nobody knew Barnes Hospital. 
you all around here would probably know Barnes Hospital in St. Louis. Grandmother was there. Polio. Back then, not good. Except a church, a little country church, praying. And she told me the story. She lay in there, all hooked up to everything. And that was bad news back then, bad news. She said this thing just kept coming to her. Prayer of faith will save the sick. Lord will raise them up. Prayer of faith will save the sick. Lord will raise them up. She didn't know it was a scripture. She told me I didn't even know it was a scripture. This kept hitting her, hitting her. <laughs> now you would have to know my grandmother. But after so many times of that hitting her, she just started pulling stuff out. That's a true story. Pulled stuff out, got up and came home. Clean, healed. I was four or five years old. I had the flu. Somebody gave me aspirin. Not good. Kicked me into Rye's syndrome. I went into a coma. There was another boy that happened to. He died just a week or so before I got in there. I'm four or five years old. I was a cute little guy at four or five years old. I'm laying in a hospital bed. My mother told me she came to our house, walked in. She said it felt like a tomb. Without you in there, the house felt like a tomb. My pastor came, and all I know is that he laid his hand on me. And I woke up completely healed. I do remember Dr. Stedlin, who delivered me and all my brothers. I do remember him taking a clipboard and throwing it into the wall. I don't even understand what's going on here, bam. I do remember that. And so we have these moments where God calls us to use us, to heal through us, heal us. It's alive, it's real, it's now. And we have a choice, and I'm going to leave you with this. Let Jesus lead you. I've been accused of not letting Jesus lead me. But Jesus leads me, and I listen. Let Jesus lead you. Because the first thing the disciples were going to do is send everybody home. That was the first thing they were going to do, is send everybody home. That was their play. And then Jesus did an intervention. And they listened to him, and they let themselves be led by him, and then the miracle happened through them. That's right. That's our choice. We all have that choice. You're going to have that choice today. You have the choice right now. We need to listen to him and let him lead us. And you're up for it. Your hearts are open to it. You're receiving it. I'm celebrating that. Because we're just listening. It didn't take anything supernatural on their part to hand stuff out. No supernatural skills to break open a roof. No supernatural skill for Peter to lean down to the lame man and lift him up. 
The supernatural had already happened because they had listened and said yes. Are you with me? Listen and say yes. Listen and say yes. Listen and I'll say yes. Amen. Stand with me if you would. Thank you, Arnick, for a great work from God. Thank you for faith. In this series, it's 10 weeks. Brian spoke because recently his mother had a beautiful healing. Arnick is speaking. He didn't even tell the story of Nevaeh's healing. And Bo is coming up in a few weeks because of the healings that he's seen in his life. The team that God has put together here, these men, men and women, but particularly during this series, it's all three guys. These men have healing stories. The Spirit of God is on them, in them, through them. And they are sharing that with us. All of us, me, I'm sitting right there just like you are. To hear that and have faith built up in us. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for the faith that is in this room. And we thank you for your direction. And we thank you for your love for us and your voice. And God, for the times, because we all have. We have all not listened. We have all been carnal. We have all done our own thing. We have all tried to work it out in our own wisdom. We repent and we turn back to you. Let our ears be quick to hear. Let us speak your words. Let us love well. Let us welcome. Give us the boldness and the courage and the truth and the power of the Holy to walk into spaces and see you move and see you change lives. We thank you and we rejoice in it. Amen. Everyone said amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Blessings.